Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alstead, sitting down with co-host Keith Myers. Here in our midweek show, Keith, we're going to talk uh, offense uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, specifically, kind of uh, what's what's gone wrong with the Seahawks offense since, um, since Munich, essentially, uh, since mm-hmm. that Tampa Bay game. Uh, the Seahawks had started the season uh, six and three uh, to that point, and um, were looking like they were in a position to at least be real competitive for the NFC West. Have uh, I think at the time they were the third seed in the entire NFC, and since then the wheels have kind of come off, and we're going to kind of take a look at why that is, and um, if there's any solutions. But yeah, and so, it's imp- it's important to note that that's not it wasn't like oh they had they had a couple of good games and then we're like oh what what happened but no this they got off to a little bit of a slow start playing a couple of really good defenses um but once they got past you know Denver and San Francisco they were just rolled this was a team that you could count on getting 30 points a game like every game um and some of the defenses that they rolled through were also good defenses. Uh, and then suddenly they go to Germany and now the offense, you don't know if it's going to score. Like, you know, they had three points uh, this last week for most of the game. They finally got a fourth quarter touchdown, but it, it was slow going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when they got to that six and three record, they won five of the, of the six games leading up to that point. Um, you go, uh, to Germany, and all of a sudden, the, the offense has been struggling. They've lost five of their last six. Seattle now sits at seven and eight. They're completely out of the playoffs looking in. Um, and um, it's just kind of interesting to me. You know, it's on November 9th, um, we recorded a midweek show after the Seahawks had defeated the Arizona Cardinals. And they improved to six and three. They were in first place. ESPN had them as the sixth ranked team in the NFL and nobody was laughing. Nobody was laughing at Geno Smith. Uh, He had such a great uh, beginning of the season and consistent performances that he was thought of as the early uh, contender for comeback player of the year. He was in the MVP conversation, not just us, but all around the league. Um, Legitimate conversations were being had as far as extending Geno during the season. Well, he would be uh, the, the least expensive because if he continued that play throughout the, the, the season, he was going to be very expensive in the offseason. And, um, and we were getting excited about other options in the NFL draft because, you know, quarterback wasn't going to have to be one of those deals. Since that time, you know, the the running game has, has gone away on offense. The interior of the offensive line has kind of been exposed. The defense regressed again and has had played 
uh, essentially the last six or seven weeks as though they were in the first three or four weeks of the season when they were really struggling. They can't stop the run. Um, so there's a lot of things. Gino's been pressing, um, I think, as a, com- you know, a combination of having no running game to support the offense and the defense falling behind in games early. Gino's been pressing, making mistakes, fumbling the ball in key uh, moments, um, throwing interceptions, just throwing into into places where he normally, you know, at least during that really good run, wasn't doing. And so the the combination has just led to to losing five of the the last six and just dropping completely out of the playoff race. Now they have an opportunity uh, with a little bit of help to get into the playoffs, but it doesn't seem like they're set to go anywhere. Yeah, um, and let's go ahead and 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 focus in on Gino because he is um, been part of what why this team has um, gone from being such a, a prolific a prolific offense to not being able to score points. Um, and you go through and you look at um, you know his stats kind of in a game by game situation, and you know that Tampa Bay game uh, is kind of a turning point for him. He well, it was really the week before, but he, um, at that point, he starts turning the ball over more. Um, and especially, you know, these last like five games, he's uh, thrown interceptions in all but one of them. Uh, he had two interceptions against Carolina, which is how they um, got beat by a, you know, relatively bad team. Um, his completion percentage has dropped. Um you know, because he early in the year, he was, you know, at 82 percent, 80 percent. There's a lot of games where he's in that, you know, the high 70s. And then in um, these last few weeks, you know, you run into where he's, it's like 62, 58. I mean, these are fairly pedestrian numbers. Yards per attempt this last week was only at 5.38. Um, week before, 5.4. So uh, it's just not the same quality that uh of play that we saw early in the season. In addition, you know, they've been facing some better defenses as well. You know, you can say what you want about the Panthers, um, but their defenses is, is okay. The 49ers obviously have a great defense um, and that kind of explains the lower completion percentage and struggles there uh, as well as the chiefs, you know, say what you want about the chiefs being kind of a middling defense and they are, ranked 20th and so forth. But I think their strengths on defense played into what Seattle struggles with too as well. Uh, I thought that we did come out and run the ball better in the second half against the Chiefs. And I think that helped open up that offense a little bit. But nonetheless, those struggles mm-hmm. were there from Gino. I think it it really did. For me, when I look at it, there's two issues. If you're just sticking to the offensive side, we can talk about the defense a little bit. But um, it's the it's the running game thing that changed. Uh, Pre-Munich, uh, the team was averaging 133.8 yards, uh, running yards per game. After Munich, or, or Munich, and then after, it's 73.8 uh, running yards per game. Um, and, and so you take a look at that interior, the, the offensive line being an issue. I think that alone, just in a, by itself, um, lends credence to the idea that Gino was pressing um because he was being asked to do a lot and then you you had the defensive side of the situation at the same time uh, the offense was struggling the defense was also struggling a lot 
couldn't stop the run. We were losing the time of possession battle. We were falling behind early in games. And that's a recipe to have any quarterback struggle. And so when I really look at this thing um, combined, I'm not inclined to completely blame Gino. Oh, I'm not for trying our to completely. And I know, and I know I'm you're just not. saying he is. You, you were talking about the you know Gino in the passing game, and I'm like, well, yes. well, there's a place we can start. Sure. Um, I th- I do think that he is part of the problem, and it's mostly the turnovers that have that have ticked up um, during the stretch. But overall, I mean, there were games where Gino played fine. Gino played. Gino did his job. Yes. The, uh, the it was the Raiders the, game for an yeah, example. Yeah. That, that that's a great one. Um, it was the it was the offensive line and the and the running game that that failed the team that day. Um, and so and and you're right. That is that is the far bigger um bigger problem. It's not like the interior of the offensive line changed. There was no injury, um, in no, one, in, in, in yeah. That's okay. being reported on. There was no there was no injury on the interior that caused this team for, to go from being, um, you know, one of the best rushing teams in the NFL to unable to do anything on the ground. So, yeah, um, what changed there? Like I went back and, and watched some some of the tape, and honestly, I don't know why, but they were just getting blown off the ball. Um, Gabe Jackson and Austin Blythe, uh, particular, um, when this team was struggling to run the ball and early in the season, they weren't. And I, like I said, there's no reported injury or any of that, but there's gotta be something that's gone on there. Cause those two well, guys I mean, he, are really dropped off in their quality of play. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously in the NFL, it's individual matchups and, and facing, uh, you know, increased competition. Um, on the interior defensive lines on the other other side of the ball. I mean, that's some of it. Yeah. And they're just not that good. I mean, let's just be honest here. Austin Blythe is a bottom 10 uh, percentile center in the NFL. He's undersized. He fits a certain scheme. It's Seattle's scheme. But nonetheless, in our own division, when you're facing Aaron Donald and, and the interior defensive line of the 49ers, um just right there those those teams are going to give you problems um, well the 49ers i mean i i kind of want to throw that game out because that defense is the best in the nfl right now and yeah. um so i'm not really considering that game but i'm looking at you know kansas city which is an average defense right in the middle of the league and you know they first half they struggled um you look at the rams the rams didn't have their star players on defense there's no aaron donald there's no reason that you can't you shouldn't be dominating in the middle and the backups came in and just dominated seattle up the line of scrimmage absolutely you know and i in order to really examine this i mean you really have to focus your film study on austin blythe to know exactly what's going on but i can just tell you just from the eye test for me and the and the blocking grades that he's getting um, he's struggling uh, with stronger linemen that he's facing. He's getting blown back. He's not creating any push uh, when he's when he's uh, supposed to be, uh, as far as uh, scheme wise. And so he's just not able to do the job. Uh, and then you combine that with the diminishing Gabe Jackson to his right, 
And then Lewis having his own struggles on, on the left side, uh, the, the entire interior of our offensive line is breaking down on each play. And you combine that as well with Ken Walker being a rookie um, and not being as decisive, I think, as, as the team wants him to be. And I think we saw that in the second half of this Kansas City game where he's got the athletic traits of a guy that wants to bounce and get outside and go to the path of least resistance. And for Ken Walker, that's his speed and getting outside. And, and, and he does really well at that. But there are times where he needs to take the initiative and take that first cut and go. Uh, and pick up the three or four yards on the interior, and sometimes he's hesitant to do that. So I think the combination of all those things uh, has has impacted Seattle's ability to run the ball this last six weeks. So you saying that, it made me think of, um, you know, years ago, um, I was listening to Mike Holmgren talk about Sean Alexander, and he was saying, because Sean Alexander was the same type. He was a guy that could bounce um, and, and get outside and do those kind of things. And Holmgren said, yeah, there are times when that's okay. And there are times when we just need you to hit the hole because we don't need an eight or, you know, 12 yard gain. We need three yards, um, get the first down. And so they had to tell him like, there are certain plays don't freelance, just run the play. Um, and so there, there, there is some of that he did. He was more decisive in the second half, um, his ability to just run, uh, and, you know, get to the hole, get up through the hole. Um, there was not, not a lot of bouncing, not a lot of changing directions and it led to better things. Both Um, Pete Carroll and Ken Walker were both came out post game and kind of said that, that that really did help open up the offense a little bit in the second half of that game. and that really was, I mean, that, that was part of the problem, but it wasn't the the rest of the problem. Um, I texted you in the middle of this game. How many times has Ken Walker run into the back of one of his blockers? Yeah. And it's and a lot. Yeah. And is that Ken Walker's fault? No, it's not. That's the offensive lineman's fault because he's trying to get to a gap, like the, the B gap between the guard and the, um, tackle and the guards just getting pushed back so far into his face. He can't get around them into right. the gap that he needs to get to. Uh, and that's part of the problem. The, the penetration being given uh, up, up the middle is, is making it hard. But then suddenly in the second half of the uh, Kansas city game, they weren't getting that penetration and the uh, running game looked a lot better. Yeah. Uh, Walker went over a hundred yards. So, I'm just this is and I I watch a lot of offensive line tape. I cannot tell you the difference on why Austin Blythe was getting blown off the ball in the first half and holding his own in the second, unless it's that they were uh, Kansas City was only like looking to defend the pass and they didn't care about the run um, because of the big lead, but. Yeah, so I mean, that's really all of it. Apparently, uh, Pete Carroll challenged Ken Walker to to run more decisively in the second half and challenged the offensive line to 
create some some lanes. I don't know if that's it or whatever, but I understand that that speech or conversation happened in the locker room at halftime there. So, I mean, that that could be something. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> you have to take a look at this thing as a whole for me. It's like mm -hmm. we can focus on Gino. We could fo focus on the running game, the interior, the offensive line. I think the defense is, is clearly equally to blame for me as well as to why the offense struggles because in the NFL, it comes down to time of possession and opportunities. And the Seahawks defense just can't get off the field. And you're, you have less opportunities to be able to create. Um, I think, you know, as the defense gives up scores, uh, especially early in games, Seattle's falling behind. And I think that's where we get into trouble. And that's happened almost every game since um, the Tampa Bay game. We've fallen behind early in games and, and Gino's been pressing and we've become one dimensional. Um, so that hasn't helped our run, running game either. When you only have 12 to 15 attempts um, in a game, you're not going to be running the ball very well, as well as falling behind by 14 points. Again, we did it in the Kansas City game, fall behind by 14 points. Uh, we weren't running the ball effectively in the first half. I was surprised, actually, Keith, when they came out in the second half and rededicated themselves to running the ball, even though they were behind. That showed me something interesting, which was that they were really trying to solve that problem, um, and they were going to stick to it, even if it had to cost them the game. They were going to run the ball. And I think, you know, there was a time I, we, we um, went up on Tennessee last year, uh, early and Tennessee came back in the second half and ran the ball effectively with Henry uh, and and ended up winning that game um, and I thought that was kind of the same sort of feeling I had in this game with Seattle trying to run the ball in the second half against Kansas yeah. City. Yeah and going back to our first point if Chino doesn't throw that terrible interception in the end zone um, the Seahawks make a game of this and uh, so yeah I mean the, running the ball mattered there's another aspect of this that I think needs to be addressed. Um, Cause we've talked about the offensive line. We've talked about Ken Walker, um, you know, being a rookie and, and those kind of things. And we've talked about, you know, Gino pressing and, and making more mistakes. Um, but there's another part to all of this on why the offense hasn't been working. And I think we need to look at the play calling and, and Shane Waldron because when this offense was humming, they were doing a lot of rollouts, a lot of play action, um, a lot of things where they were moving the pocket in order to give Gino um, more time and, and get the letter our super fast receivers get downfield further and open up the, some space. They haven't done that recently. There's been a lot of straight dropbacks. And I don't know why you change what's working. And so I think that needs to be you know it needs to be said that they have gone away from some of what was really effective early in the season what i've noticed on that particular issue for me is the play of the offensive tackles um early in the season i think we were seeing surprising results from them um even above league average and certainly above what we were expecting and i think it's kind of fallen off the last six or seven weeks where we've seen more pressure coming from the outsides um 
and less push uh, when we're running uh, plays, uh, for running plays. And I think they've added more protection. I, there's been a couple of situations where I've seen two tight ends in the backfield flanking the, the you know, the running back. Um, and there's been less rollouts because I, I think the trust level on the outside has, has gone away. And so it seems like Shane Waldron is, is being a little bit more conservative. So, yeah, I mean, you look at, at Abe Lucas specifically. Um, early in the season, he was dominating. He was um, looking like the best tackle in the draft. Um, you know, one of the better right tackles anywhere in the NFL. He was dominating. Um, against Kansas City, he was dominated. He looked slow. He was leaning and and doing things that he wasn't doing earlier in the season. It was not a not a good look for him. And he looks tired. He does. He looks exhausted. And, you know, we talked about this um, during the game that the college season is 12 games. This was game 15. Yeah. And he's Um, kicking. Yeah. I mean, they are, uh, it's hard on rookies to, you know, go through the season and, and, and continue that high level of play for those extra five games. And they've reached kind of that point, I think, where the play Seattle was fueled by rookie talent early in the season. And we haven't talked about Boye Mafe in a while, right? Um, we aren't seeing plays made by um, Kobe Bryant anymore. Um, and the two offensive tackles are struggling more as we get later in the season. I think that plays a, a role in it. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. They offer same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets, like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, place a $5 bet on any team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah. And Ken Walker, too. You know, it's he's he's he had a pretty decent game. I mean... And he's got an opportunity, you know, he's uh, 800 yards mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a rookie and has an opportunity to get to a thousand yards if he has a couple of great games come, coming up here. Um, but really it is kind of a, a test, <laughs> if you will, uh, to make it through a season in the NFL, especially as a rookie, especially on those islands, uh, right tackle, left tackle. I think Cross has, has also struggled um, at, at times, especially against speed. Uh, he does pretty decent against power, but man, those speed rushers kind of get to him occasionally. Same with uh, Lucas, and and also they just miss blocks. It's uh, it's just one of those things where 
it's a long season. Um, coaches scheme against Seattle you know, and these tackles and kind of know by now what the tendencies are and, and they take advantage. So I think we're seeing a combination of all of that, really. And then yeah. Shane Waldron, to your point, it comes down to opportunities, and I'll and I'll say this again. It goes back to the defense. We're losing the time of possession battle almost every game, and Seattle's allowing teams to march up and down the field and run against them and so forth. And I think, you know, schematically wise, you, you go back to the offense and you're you change because you're playing catch up, and I think that's some of it too. Yeah, I mean, you can see um, the problem with the tackles. Uh, I believe when you start looking at Will Disley and his usage, because when this offense was humming, he was getting out into passing routes quite a bit. He was getting his catches against the chargers. For example, Um, one of the good teams that they beat during that stretch, um, he had four receptions and uh, had four, four targets against Arizona. But again, so when this offense was humming, he's out in patterns more, Um, but he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL and when this offense has been struggling they've been keeping him in um to protect one of the tackles yeah and that's been this is it's been telling this is a really interesting conversation to me because this is this is one of those times and one of those moments where it's it's really clear to me this is kind of a complicated issue but it's really clear to me just how much the entire team has to work together to make each aspect function properly. And when it starts to diminish in certain areas, it really does affect the whole. And I think that's what we're seeing. The defense has uh, not played well, especially along the interior defensive line. They've not been able to stop the run. That leads to more time of possession um, issues. That leads to falling behind in games, which makes Geno press a little bit. We run the ball less. Our offensive tackles are struggling. Our interior, uh, you know, offensive line has always struggled. And so all of that, and when the margin of errors are, are small and the talent deficiency is uh, is there, we just don't have enough. It, it's it just all of a sudden, it just kind of creates a situation where uh, it's too much to overcome. And I that's, that's where we're at. And there's a chance to win a couple games here get into the playoffs. Um, but like I've said before, Keith said, I don't think there's enough there to win a game or, or, you know, if you luck out maybe, but um, it's, it's an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. It also, this also makes me um, appreciate what Russell Wilson did uh, in Seattle because he had offensive lines that were worse than this one. And maintained um, the ability to to lead this team, score points, get wins. Yeah, it was ugly sometimes, and they'd go stretches where they couldn't get a first down. Um, and then it felt like he would just kind of will the team um, back into games. Yeah, he'd play hero ball. He would, you know, make eight guys miss and and run for a first down if if because he didn't have time to throw it. He was dropped, hit the top of his drop, and and he already had two people in his face. So uh, it just it really said it really makes me appreciate what Wilson was able to do with crummy offensive lines in front of him. Um, so, so talk to me about solutions. So yeah. uh, is there anything we can do to win the next two games? Uh, is there anything we could do to win a playoff game or 
I mean, obviously it is what it is. Um, can we maximize our opportunities though in the next few weeks to, to kind of take advantage? Well, if the offensive line and the running game start to work like it did the second half against Kansas City, they can begin to open this thing back up. Um, you know, they got Tyler Lockett back uh, and just continue to to run the ball, use and throw off the off the um, running game, and just continue to do that. Um, they can get this thing rolling again. It's not a a situation where it's broken and unfixable. Um, I think the yeah. defense is broken and unfixable. That's my yeah. really because they did a pretty good job of they shutting down Kansas. They did a pretty decent job, but I'm telling you, Kansas City did not open up the floodgates. I mean, yeah, but they, they were did, pretty conservative. It, their the number of three and outs that Kansas City had to me yeah, says I think, it, you know it had it had a lot degrees. to do it had a lot to do with the defense and not just um, you know them not putting uh, the gas pedal down. I so, think weather weather was a factor. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was. was. Um, but I I just look at at overall. Um, is it possible? Sure. Um, is it likely? No. And the solutions that I see are going to happen during this off season. Um, they need a new center. They need a new right guard, right? They, they, they can need to continue to build the offensive line. Um, that's, that's where this, this is headed. Um, they need a third wide receiver, uh, but they've needed the third wide receiver forever. They need a second running back, I think too. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, you know, you so you look at in all of that, but the other thing is that you need these rookie tackles to get a full off season, uh, professional um, strength level and strength yeah. and conditioning um, yeah. offensive. You know, just it's yeah, they do that kind of stuff in college, but there's other stuff that's going on. They can't uh, have contact with coaches. They've got to go to classes, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just different in the pros and they go, we'll go through and get another, a year of that. And I think that what you're going to see is not just you know, you're going to see them dominate more and you're going to see them dominate longer into the season. This like drop off, I don't think will happen next year. And that is, um, you know, going to lead to bigger things. I'm totally agree. Absolutely. hundred percent. We're getting dominated. But on, yeah. on both interior, you know, defense and offense, as well as, you know, you just said it, the tackles are struggling a little bit. And I think that really does make a huge difference and will make a huge difference in the offseason. Even if nothing else changed, that would be huge. Um, interesting. Yeah, so I I fully expect them to solve this, but it's it's not going to happen this year. It just isn't. We just don't have the personnel to do it. It's too late in the year to to really address this thing. Um, I think the solution really is to focus in the offseason, uh, in the trenches, um, you know, in a couple other key positions. But I think that the this particular problem gets solved, but it's going to happen in the draft and it's going to happen in free agency because I Austin Blythe just not the guy. We don't have anybody else. Kyle Fuller hasn't played hardly at all this year, which is great. But it's just good. He's not we've, much. We've of, seen him in the past, and he's terrible. Right, but he's uh, not much of a of a difference from Austin Blythe. Now Austin Blythe is a great person, and he's a good line caller, and um, all that. 
the continuity there. And he's played almost every snap this year, which is fantastic. But he just doesn't have the functional strength to compete in in this NFL environment. He just he just doesn't. We're just getting dominated there, and, and it it cascades from the inside out. And and we need an upgrade there for sure. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see how the team views this stretch of games from Geno Smith. And and the more I looked at this show and this discussion, I wasn't so sure that this all falls on Geno Smith to the point where it's ruined his opportunities either in the NFL with other teams or contractually with the Seahawks. Now, I don't know that he's going to be the $31 million man anymore. But I also don't know that he's going to be the $15 million guy. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably going to be 23, 24 on a three-year deal with the Seahawks, I think. Um, now, if they get away with signing him for a one-year deal at, at $18 million, I, they jump on that. Absolutely. I just I think that he's probably viewed inside the building as more valuable than that, to be completely honest, as far as his leadership quality, um, his work ethic, his ability to do what he does on the field as long as everything else is working. And that's true with a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. He's he's definitely not the guy that's the top five quarterback in the NFL leading a team beyond any other issues uh, to go win you a game. He needs everything else uh, to, to be well-suited, and that's okay. Which is basically... Um, those those words that you just said are he's not a franchise quarterback. He's not a difference maker as far as being the guy that can go win games consistently on his own. Yeah, but True. what I'm saying is you 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 just said he's not a franchise quarterback. That doesn't necessarily mean I think that you've boxed me in just too far there <laughs> with what I what I mean. I don't know that you necessarily have to be that guy to be a franchise quarterback. I think there are there's a second tier of quarterbacks in the NFL that are still franchise guys that can't do those things. But when you surround them with quality personnel throughout the roster, they they can do very well and get you into the playoffs and actually win you games when it when it comes right down to it but they need a little bit of help and Gino's one of those players um he's not the 40 million dollar quarterback he's not a 20 million i think he's he's somewhere in the middle he doesn't have much time left though he's 33 he'll be 34 next year does the team invest in him in their as a future piece and build around him no he that's why this is somewhat complicated because the solution i think is partially Gino, but it's also probably a, an investment in the in a future draft pick because it's just that time. It yeah. you know it's just that, it is. Let's go back to what you said earlier. Gino Smith isn't the problem. Uh, Gino Smith also isn't the answer, and that is the that's the issue the Seahawks face, and why I still think that that third overall pick needs to be a, of a quarterback because uh, they've you got to solve the most important position and uh, do that. Now you can take a guy uh, that you, 
think might be more of a, you know, higher ceiling project um, because you've, you know, you re-signed Gina for one year. And so you can have that first rounder um, get slowly acclimated and not be thrown to the wolves week one. But ultimately you've got to, you've got to make that pick. You've got to go and um, solve the most important position on the roster. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I mean, there are folks like, uh, let's just say Rob Satan uh, came out with a draft uh, this morning or late last night. Saw on uh, out on Seahawks Twitter verse, and um, he had Will Levis go number one overall in the NFL draft. And he also, yeah. and his second pick was um, Chicago trading out of the number two spot. I think Carolina came came up and picked well uh, Richardson second overall. Now I know you don't like that because we've talked about that before, but that's not the point. The well, point, and then he had Bryce Young going eight or ten, but Seattle traded out of that. Um, we should we should um, stop with this particular conversation simply because um, I love Rob. He does a great job, uh, but his rep or his not repu- just reputation, his track record with quarterbacks is awful. He had <laughs> well, Matt, what I'm Bar- saying, what I'm, he had what Matt I'm, Barkley as the, as the number one overall pick. Players are irrelevant be here. What, what I'm saying is um, he still had Seattle not choosing a quarterback and going interior defense and offensive lines in his first four picks. I think there was a safety in there, but. What, I, what I'm saying is there's still the thought process that maybe, like you said, Gino's not the answer, but it's not the problem. And maybe Seattle views that in a short-term lens as, as pushing this problem down the road a little bit and addressing other things and, and looking at a quarterback position later on. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You, if you do that, you're going to set yourself up for. It's true you'll never have an op- another opportunity unless you get to the end of this run and ev- the wheels completely fall off and you're in a full rebuild yes. and you, and you go and do yeah. uh, that where you just are, are terrible for a year um, and try and get the first or second overall pick. Um, and then well, it is interesting because now we have the, you know, we're at the positioned at third overall and then we've got the 12th pick overall currently. Um, there is an opportunity there where we take a quarterback at 12 or 15 if we drop back or whatever. And it's one of those things that you mentioned, a guy that we can groom for a year under Gino and approach it that way and still get our interior defensive tackle at three or, or whatever that is. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me because I, I agree with you. Uh, if a quarterback's sitting there and Seattle's really looked into it and they decide to go quarterback at three, I'm all for it. If they look at it and they see Will Levis and and Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud sitting there, you know, because two defensive players went one-two, um, and they decide to take a pass, there's something there that, you know, I trust John Schneider evaluating quarterbacks um, where they've decided to, to go in a different direction. I also trust that as well because – there are so many different holes in this roster that need to be addressed. And Gino is 
I think he has the ability to take the team to a certain point with a good roster. And so, well, my, my concern with that is priorities because it's one thing to go, okay, you know, we're going to take a defensive player and not a quarterback. We think, you know, short-term Gino can get us to where we want to go. Um, but what are you doing? How much are you selling at your future for a window when you have, well, you don't even have a defense. So their window isn't really open. Um, and you're doing it because Pete Carroll's 71. And if you're making decisions for the future of the franchise based on a 71 year old coach trying to do have one last run, I think that you're setting yourself up to have the bottom completely fall out. So what you've just said is that if that were to happen, you believe that they're still in win now mode. Yes. And making decisions not not for the good of the franchise, but for the good of Pete Carroll. Yeah. I don't think I don't see that. I don't see that happening. I don't know that that's I don't they would never admit that out loud. And I don't know that the evidence necessarily points in that direction. It's pointed in that direction since Pete Carroll arrived. No, it's pointed in that direction since Russell Wilson arrived. Well, I mean, obviously, Pete Carroll wants to win. But, you know, when you had Russell Wilson here, you were in win now no matter what. Um, now that he's gone, it becomes a little bit more of a interesting thing. And especially the, the year that Geno's had makes it complicated because he's an older quarterback, one year of success out of many years in the NFL. Um, obviously older to 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 not build around so it's a i agree with you i mean your strategy is sound you've got a couple picks you've got four picks in the top 50 um go get your quarterback and then solve your defense with those other three picks if you need to or interior offensive line that's a sound strategy i just don't know that you know they're going to be boxed in by that you know, with the mandating, they pick a quarterback. If it's if it's not a guy that they love, they'll pass. Yeah, but if they if they pass, it's not necessarily that the quarterback's bad, is what I'm saying. Um, I wouldn't look at at the Seahawks passing on a quarterback and being like, oh well, it must have been because the quarterbacks are bad. It's probably because Pete Carroll is like, no, we can win with Geno. Let's get the other pieces, and they're not looking at what this team looks like in two years. Interesting. So, wow. That, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that many times, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, we didn't solve anything, folks. Uh, come back. <laughs> that wasn't the point. The point was to figure out what went wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think we did that. Um, yeah. Just yeah. incremental decreases in quality along the offensive line. Um, the They started getting beat more in the middle which they were the, the, that middle was always an issue. Um, but it started to become a bigger issue and then the tackles got tired and it's just all the, of these little things compounded together and suddenly something that was humming and just running, you know, wasn't working at all. Yeah. Crazy. All right, let's get out of here. Come back, uh, in a couple days and we'll have a preview of the, uh, New York jets coming into town on New Year's Day to face the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is currently still in a playoff race. Uh, We'll find out how this thing turns out. So uh, you know where to find us. Make sure you hit the subscribe button when you do. 
and uh, share it if you like it. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.